Well, today I want to I want to deal with an issue that um, is is unique in my 27 years of being part of a Bible church. I never remember hearing a message on the topic that we're going to deal with today. Never in my 27 years in a Bible church. Interesting that the Lord has raised this issue in the passage today. So because of that, I want to go to the Lord in prayer. I want God to speak to our hearts because I want you to see that our God desires to have a personal, real relationship with you. As real and personal as your relationship with food. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your work in our lives. We do pray for those in our body that are going through difficult times right now. You're aware of them, Lord. We've been praying for people. For those that have challenging times ahead, we think of Heather in Uganda. We think of Daniel. Father, we pray that you would make your will clear to us through your body today about our physical, our need for a physical facility. So, Lord, this is your church. We pray, Lord, that you would direct us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, doubtless, I think you would agree with me that our culture has a problem with food. We have a problem with food. And I want to talk about that today because Jesus did. And um, to kind of give you an illustration of, of the problem, I want to talk about a meal that I recently had. My family went on vacation a couple weeks ago, and we got highly recommended that we go to this restaurant, and so we did. And man, was it good. Oh, wow. Seafood. And it was just amazing. I mean, we sat there as a family, eight of us there, and, and enjoyed this food. And it was a sweet time of fellowship, a, a great time of, of just enjoying God's provision. It was, we were experiencing the blessing that God has given us in food. I mean, think of all the things that you can eat. I mean, you can eat a cow or a shrimp, and you can, you can eat a plant or, or a piece of fruit off a tree. I mean, it's just amazing what the foods that we can eat. You can drive home today and stop at 7-Eleven and get a Snicker bar. I mean, there's nothing better in all the world, right? Two weeks ago here in youth ministry, I had the very best piece of cake I've ever had in my entire life. I talked about it for a week, did I not? Yes, for a week I talked about this piece of cake. And God has given us food to enjoy. 1 Timothy 6 says that the rich in this present age, which is us, they shouldn't be haughty, and not to put their hope in riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. God has given us the ability to enjoy food. And it's a pleasure, isn't it? But as I sat there at the Boundary House and, and was surrounded probably by a couple hundred people sitting there eating this food, I just looked around the room and I just thought, look at all of us. We're enjoying this food and, and having such relationship. And then I wondered, I wonder how many of us, I think it was on a Friday that we ate, I don't really know, but I wondered how many of us this Sunday will gather and worship the Lord the way that we're worshiping food right now. Now, you can relax. I'm not going to talk to you about how you shouldn't eat and how you should count your calories and how you should start exercising and lose weight. I'm, I'm not going to deal with that because you know what? That's not what the passage deals with. 
But I do want us to have balance. Not in how much we eat. That's not my topic for today. But in our view of food. Our culture worships food. And you can see it from gluttony, where people just consume and consume and consume, all the way to the other side where people will refuse to eat. Anorexia and bulimia and, and orthorexia. They have these, these disorders now that center around food. Now, the issue that we want to deal with today is, Jesus referenced it in Matthew chapter 6, verse number 16. I'd like you to go there, turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 6, verse number 16. And let me tell you that that today I, I want to pull back the curtain a little bit on our Lord and God. And I want you to see today, my goal today is for you to see that God wants to have an intimate relationship with you. A real intimate relationship with you. As real and as, as pleasurable and as, as intimate and as everyday life as food. This is what God wants with you. I suspect that somebody could walk in here. Maybe this is your first time and, and you've never been here before. You've never heard me speak. You've never been part of our church. And, and, and sometime today you're going to think, these people are kind of weird. They're they're a little bit strange. And yep, that's true. Because we really believe with all of our guts down to our internal organs, Scripture talks about. We believe that God is real. And he wants to have an intimate relationship with human beings. So Matthew chapter 6, verse number 16, look what Jesus has to say. Matthew 6, 1 and verse 16 to 18. I want to hit 1. It said, verse 1, it says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will know, I'm not sorry, you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Now verse number 16. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. I want to challenge you today that, that the passion that we can experience for food the passion that we can experience for things in this world, the passion that you may feel for, for, for a whole host of things is only a glimmer, it's only a taste, it's only a touch of what God intends to have with you. C.S. Lewis said this, it's not that our passions are too strong. I've had people say this to me. Pastor Lowe, I've got this such a strong lust or this strong desire. I've got this such a strong, it's overwhelming my life. And Lewis says, it's not that our passions are too strong. It's they're too weak. And we are willing to be satisfied by things that should not bring us satisfaction, like food. So to talk about fasting today, I I did an experiment. I I did a search on, on Amazon on the topic of fasting. Just books, what would come up? I mean, there were just, there were scores of books let me just read to you some of the titles. Okay? The Ultimate Guide to Fasting. You lose weight, heal your body, and feel great. 
Fasting? The complete guide to fasting, heal your body through intermittent, alternate day and extended fasting. Intermittent fasting for women, 101. Intermittent fasting for men, 101. How interesting. Now you hear, and you probably expect this, there's a huge growth and a huge, huge interest in fasting, but it's not the kind of fasting that Jesus is talking about. It's fasting that deals with our health, with losing weight. That's not what Jesus is talking about. This was interesting. Um, intermittent fasting with 101 intermittent fasting recipes. Now, can you just think about that for a minute? <laughs> 101 blank pages, right? <laughs> And then I found, and this was book number 12, fasting, opening the door to a deeper, more intimate, more powerful relationship with God. I thought, oh, now we're we're getting into biblical fasting, maybe. We've been seeing all this stuff about health, fasting, whether I'm losing weight or, or whatever, What's this guy to say about biblical fasting? And I don't recognize the author. His name is Franklin. He's a, he's a televangelist. This is, what it, this is how the book ex- explains itself. It says, Franklin explains the spiritual power of fasting and offers a deep understanding of God's plan for fasting. Sounds good, doesn't it? This is what we need to hear. Maybe I should just open this book up and read it to you today. Huh? Maybe not. Those who seek God through fasting can expect tremendous rewards. Okay, that aligns with Scripture. Jesus said that. They can expect tremendous rewards for their personal lives as well as for their church. Wow, we should read this. They will see breakthroughs in many areas. Areas such as healing, finances, dependencies, and family relationships. This book will give stories of those who have reaped these miraculous rewards from this simple act of faith. Is that fasting? There's a famous preacher and pastor. He's now with the Lord. His name is Martin Lloyd-Jones. He wrote in the 1950s on a commentary on the Sermon on the Mount. He says some people approach fasting like a penny slot machine. That you put a penny in, turn the handle, and out comes a gumball. Ah, how fast? Sure. <laughs> Healthy. Ooh, how fast? Ooh, my finances are blessed. Nothing more than an attempt to manipulate God. Well, we see, let's get to, I got to move along. I've spent so much time studying fasting over the last week or two. I do want to mention a couple decent books. One is called A Hunger for God by John Piper. Another is called Celebration of Discipline by a man named Richard Foster. If you want to read about this, I, I encourage you to read either one of those books. All right, let's, let's, get to our, let's get to the passage today. Jesus says in Matthew 6, 16, and when you fast. Now, this is in the context of Jesus' teaching on worship. He's trying to help us understand that man is broken and so is his worship. And he's dealing with three areas, not that these are the exhaustive list. There are other areas where this ugly hypocrisy can show itself. But Jesus touches on three areas where people allow their worship to become a show. He talked about giving. He talked about praying. And he talked about fasting. And he said, and and you can tell from this that he assumes his followers will do these things. I mean, look with me. Look at verse number four. When you give, 
Verse number five, when you pray. Verse number 16, when you fast. is an expected part of our relationship with the Lord, of our worship. Let me talk to you a little bit about fasting. Let me first of all tell you about what it, what, uh, some things that are not true about it, okay? You are not commanded in the Bible to fast. As a matter of fact, it's not even mentioned after Acts chapter 13. It's not even mentioned. Fasting does not move the hand of God. Really? You really think that because you decide that you're going to not eat for a meal or for a day, that God's sovereign plan will now be adjusted? God is not one to be toyed with or manipulated. This isn't the point of fasting. You can't find this in Scripture. You will not find this approach to fasting throughout the Bible. I've looked at every single reference this week to fasting, and not once is it used to move God's hand, to claim this ground, to claim this promise. Folks, you see right through that, and you should. Fasting does not make you more liked by God. It doesn't increase your influence in his plan. It doesn't save you or sanctify you or set you free from sin. Jesus does all that. Not fasting. But I believe that you should fast. Hmm. Fasting is modeled. It is implied that you are invited to this in the Bible. It's one of your spiritual resources in the natural course of life. You'll see what that is, I think, today. It will aid in your fellowship with God. It's not for the spiritually elite. It's actually for the spiritually hungry, for the spiritually dependent, for the needy among us. There is reactive fasting and there is proactive fasting. People react to the sorrows and the heartbreaks of life in Scripture with fasting. We'll see that in just a minute. But then there's also a proactive fasting that says, God, I want more of you. I want more of you. I want greater fellowship with you. So I will say no to myself and draw near to you, because then you will promise you will draw near to me. Fasting is always connected with prayer. Always. Every time fasting is referenced, it's connected to prayer. So this is an intimate part of our relationship with the Lord. And here, here again, I say, if you're new here, you might think, these people are kind of weird. Talking about fasting? Talking about a relationship with the Lord that close? Here's a definition of Christian fasting. It's on your notes. It's the discipline of abstaining for a time from all or from certain foods. It always accompanies prayer for the purpose of repentance, worship, sorrow, intercession, or guidance. It's this. It's forfeiting something good. Fasting is forfeiting something good because God is greater. Can you think on that for a minute? Choosing to forfeit something good because God is greater. And you could give the same definition to giving. 
You could give the same definition to prayer. You could give the same definition to serving. You could give the same definition to worship. It's forfeiting something good that God has given us. Because it's greater. How does it look in common practice? I, I want to read to you from, from someone that, that wrote about fasting, and, and, and I want to just read this. The reason why I can take some, a long time introducing this, by the way, in case you're wondering, in case you're looking at your watch like I am, the reason why I can take a long time building up to this, the reason why I need to, first of all, is because the world that Jesus was speaking to, fasting was, was a common practice all the time. There was a group of religious people that twice a week they fasted, and everybody knew it. Everybody knew it. They fasted twice a week, and everyone knew it. The world that Jesus is speaking to, they understood fasting. They understood it completely. The second reason why I can take a little bit of time here and and build to the passage is this. Honestly, you could read 16, 17, 18 and get up and walk out of here. It is very clear what Jesus is saying. I'm not going to have to take a lot of time to really exegete what Jesus says here because it is clear and to the point. But it builds on a foundation that we don't have in our culture. And that is the culture of fasting. Listen to this person explain their fasting. He writes, One of the reasons for fasting is to know what is in us. In fasting, it will come out. You will see it. And you will have to deal with it. When mid-morning comes and you want food so bad that the thought of lunch becomes as sweet as a summer vocation, then suddenly you realize, I forgot. I made a commitment. I can't have that pleasure. I'm fasting for lunch too. Then what are you going to do with all the unhappiness inside? Formerly, you blocked it out with the hope of a tasty lunch. The hope of food that it gave you the good feelings to balance out the bad feelings, but now the balance is gone. You must find another way to deal with it. Pause here. I figured out one time that I had an addiction to double cheeseburgers. Okay, This is not part of a 12-step program, okay? But, But let me tell you how it would work. It's exactly what this person is describing. I would have a stressful day. I would have a difficult day. It would be, it would be a day of ministry, and I had, had dealt with a lot of people, and it was draining. And I'd start heading home, and I'd see those big golden arches. And I'd think, for one dollar, I can feel a whole lot better. That double cheeseburger, mm, man, it's good. Two patties, two pieces of cheese, one eighth of dehydrated ounce of dehydrated, dehydrated onions, two pickles, a squirt of mustard, a squirt of ketchup on a caramelized bun. That's a double cheeseburger. My addiction started at age 17, all right? And it shows itself. There's nothing wrong with a double cheeseburger. We're not going to burn the double cheeseburgers. We're not going to, you know, advance on McDonald's and tear down the arches. No. But, but look what I did. Look what I did. As a follower of Jesus, I was tired. I was discouraged. I was down. And I ran to the burger and said, fill me up. Not that I was hungry. I wanted comfort. So I ran to the burger. The author goes on. He says, at these points, we really begin to discover what our spiritual resources are. 
the things I discover in my soul are so valuable for the fight of faith. Listen to this. Humbly and quietly, with scarcely a movement, hunger brings up out of the dark places of my soul the dissatisfactions in relationships, the frustrations of ministry, the fears of failure, the emptiness of wasted time. And just when my heart begins to retreat to the delicious hope of eating supper at the Pizza Hut, hunger quietly reminds me, not tonight. It can be a devastating experience. Will I find spiritual communion with God sweet enough and the hope of his promises deep enough? Not just to cope, but to flourish, to rejoice in him. Fasting reveals the measure of food's mastery over us. And folks, I want us to understand this truth. Only God is enough to satisfy my deepest, my greatest desire. Only him. Only him. No burger, no relationship, no sex, no money, no house, no car, no thing, no person. Only God. And so the principles that we're going to apply to fasting, you can apply to any form of idolatry in our lives. The principles we're going to apply to food, that is, probably more correct to say, you can apply to any form of idolatry in our lives. Let me just quickly, I want to go real fast through this. I just want to show you a little sampling of the times that we see fasting in the Bible. Okay, I'll just throw these up on the screen. Just because, for sake of time, i got to go real, real quick. Daniel, in Daniel chapter 9, Daniel now is understanding God's word in a greater way, and he, and he realizes that them as a culture, the people of God should repent. And so he fasts in repentance. In Leviticus, it's the only place we see fasting commanded that on the Day of Atonement, the the children of Israel, the nation of Israel, were called to fast during this Day of Atonement as they celebrated God's conquering over sin. They worshipped God and chose to not eat that day. Hmm, Interesting. In 2 Samuel, in 2 Samuel chapter 12, David gets word that his his unborn child is going to die. And so for a week he lays on the ground and fasts. In sorrow he fasts. This world had broken him down so deeply that he didn't want to eat. He didn't want to eat, so he went to God in prayer. Sometimes we go through a sorrowful situation. Maybe it's a death of of a person, the death of a relationship, and we're so sorrowful that we don't even want to eat. Let that person alone. Let that person alone. I've seen people come to people, Oh, you've had this death in your life. You need to eat. Here, eat, eat. Sometimes a person doesn't eat because they're just so broken. They're just so sorrowful. We see this in Scripture. It happens. It happens. Ezra was leading the people back from Babylon, back to Jerusalem. And as they were seeking God's newfound touch in their lives, they fasted. They called for a, for a, a fast of the nation time of intercession where they would pray, oh God, become real to us again and lead us and guide us. In Jonah, when the nation of Gentile pagan people turned to Christ, a huge revival among pagan people, and the king, after coming to Christ, said, we will fast in repentance. 
in Luke, we see Anna. She's there in the temple praying that the Messiah might come. And what did she do? She worshiped and she fasted. It's all through Scripture. In Acts chapter 13 and in Acts chapter 14, the church is seeking God's direction, seeking God's guidance. And they pray and they fast. And after they hear the Lord direct them, they fast. This is an interesting practice, one that we never do. Why do we never talk about it? Could be some of these very correctives. Remember this truth. Only God is enough to satisfy my greatest desire. So in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, when you fast. I want us to understand, there is such a thing as a satisfying fast. And if you've, you've never done this before, you probably haven't. Probably most of the believers in the room have never set up time, part of time for prayer and fasting. I want to challenge you to do that. Don't announce it, okay? I, I suspect that maybe your spouse or those in your family may figure it out, and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with someone discovering that you're doing this, but you're going to see in the Scripture here that we aren't to announce it and proclaim it and brag about it. But there is such a thing as a satisfying fast. It's modeled throughout Scripture. And, and though all Jesus says here is when you fast, I want you to turn over a page or two to Matthew chapter 9 where Jesus comes real close to telling us this is something we should do. Matthew chapter 9, verse number 14. Look what happens here as we see this satisfying fast. The disciples of John came to Jesus and they said, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples don't. It's a great question. So now what we see from this is that Jesus did not lead his disciples to fast. He, they weren't practicing fasting, but it was rampant in the culture. The Pharisees were, the disciples of John the Baptist were. And Jesus said to them, now look what he says. There's much to learn here. Can the wedding guest mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? So Jesus is now using a metaphor, and he is the bridegroom. He's saying, I'm, I'm with you in the wedding party. We're here at the, at the reception. We're together. Do we, will we mourn? Notice he knows he connected mourning and fasting. Okay? Do we mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them. And then they will fast. So what is Jesus saying? That there is a, the disciples are not fasting, but in the future, when the bridegroom is taken away, the disciples will fast. When? When the bridegroom has left. Why? Because they're longing for his presence. This is what fasting is about for us. It's longing for God's presence. It's a personal form of worship. We think of worship as singing and, and praying and, and doing and all that is well and fine. That is worship. But here's a personal opportunity for you to worship. You, nobody's going to direct you to do this. We're, we're not going to come and demand that you do this. Nobody's going to instruct you to do this today in such and such a way. But it's a personal opportunity for you to worship. You're worshiping God. And in your worship, you're saying this. 
Oh, Jesus, I want to be with you. I want to be with you. And so I'm going to abandon food for this meal or for this day. Jesus fasted for 40 days. So did Moses. Instead of being with this food and finding my joy there and finding my contentment there and finding my pleasure there because I so long to be with you, I'm going to put aside this meal. And like the author that I read to you earlier, it is going to haunt you. Your stomach's going to growl. It's going to be an opportunity to worship. Just like the songs prod you with what words to say. See, we put these song words on the screen and they prod you, say this to God, say this to God, say this about God. Your stomach will prod you and it will say, he is enough. He is enough. Worship him now in your spirit. We experience the joy of fellowship with God when we walk through this moment of worship. It should be joy-filled. Scripture says that God loves a cheerful giver. So that means when we fast and we have this moment of fellowship, you will have joy. That's what it looks like, that relationship with the Lord. God has called you to a relationship of joy with him. Luke chapter 9, Jesus describing the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, says this. It's like a man comes to a field. He figures out that in that field is a treasure. You understand the circumstance, right? For some reason, there's some treasure in a field. I always picture like one of those treasure chests, like a pirate booty, you know, and all these gold and jewels and necklaces and all that, and it's tucked away in the bottom of that field. It's somehow, maybe an ancient metal detector, I don't know, but they know it's there. And Jesus says, the person goes and sells everything they have with joy to buy the field. Hmm. Fasting is an opportunity to buy that field. To joyfully say, I'm not going to eat. I'm not going to, it's not going to be 40, I'm not going to, I'm in no danger of starving to death, right? Neither anyone in this room, we're, we'll be fine. But your stomach will growl and what is inside of you will be revealed. And we have fellowship, sweet fellowship with God. Because only God is enough to satisfy my greatest desire. Now let's see the warning. Because that's the real point of Matthew 6. But it just, it's so foreign to us that we had to, we had to develop it a little bit. So there's a fruitless fast. And that's what Jesus talks about. He says, don't look, like, don't look gloomy like the hypocrites. You know what they would do? Scripture, or that is, tradition records. We will say that. What that means is other books that were written at the time. It describes that the, that the Pharisees would take gray powder and put it on their faces. And they would get out their worst clothes and put them on. And they would wander around. It talks about them having canes, okay? Young, healthy, 20, 30-year-old men, strong men. And they would walk out the street. Oh, I'm so hungry. 
that everyone would know they were fasting. And they would applaud. Oh, look at him. Look at him. In Luke chapter 18, one of the, Jesus tells a story about a Pharisee. Remember this guy? He goes into the temple. He says, oh God, I thank you that I do this and I do that and I do this. Remember that guy? And I'm not like the sax like to remember that. One of the things he said is, I fast two days a week. High five right here, God, two days a week. We know that they fasted on two particular days of the week. And you know what? Those two days of the week happened to be the market day in Jerusalem. And that's the day they fasted. What a coincidence. The day when all of Jerusalem was swelled with people. It went fast. Oh, listen to my stomach growl. There's a fruitless fast. And it's seeking the praise of people. And oh, we know that well, don't we? Oh, we know that well. How strong is our desire for man's praise? Whether we're giving or praying or preaching or witnessing or serving, we will do almost anything. Dad, people look over and think, oh, that's a pretty good guy. We want that so bad, it's in our flesh. It's in our flesh to want people to like us, to want people to praise us, to want people to think that we are a pretty good person. But it's fruitless. It's fruitless when that's our motive. When you sing a song or listen to a sermon or have your devotions or serve with children or whatever it might be, when you share Christ in your workplace, when you live for Jesus in your home, if the only reason you're doing it is people to say, thumbs up to you, you have received your reward in full. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed that thumbs up because that's exactly what Jesus says. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. So think about this. These people in Jesus' day are one around the street. I guess they're, they're must, maybe they're really hungry. We don't really know. But they want everybody to think they are. Let's just, for hypothetical sake, say that maybe they really were fasting. So now they went a whole day without eating. They're crawling around the streets. And somebody said, huh, he must really love God. And it's over. It's over. 2,000 years later, no fruit. Dead. Jesus is warning against this. He uses the example of fasting because it was so prevalent in that day. But, folks, we've got to apply it to ourselves today. Careful. Careful. When you fast, he says, and when your head and wash your face. In other words, go ahead and do everything that you usually do. Go to work. You know, put on decent clothes, wash your hair, take a shower, whatever it is you do, okay? You figure it out for you. And just live your regular old life. Somebody brings you a donut. Oh, no, no, I'm fasting. I'm fasting. I'm fasting. No, no, no. No, thanks. That's okay. Just don't say a word. It's not about them. It's not about anybody but you and God. This is a moment of personal worship between you and your God. This is why people probably think we're crazy. Listen, we're not nuts. If you're here thinking, really? Seriously, you, you really think you're going to have a personal connection with God tomorrow at lunch? Really? That's weird. I want to invite you to that kind of relationship with God. You, the creator of God wants fellowship with you. He went to the cross and 
died so you can have it. That had to happen because your sin separated you from God. So Jesus became a man and went to the cross and went to the grave dead so that this fellowship can be restored, so that real relationship can happen. This is not religion. This is not a gimmick. This is not a club. These are people who are hungry for a real relationship with God in this way. And our God is offering a reward that satisfies. Look what he says in verse number 18. We're doing this not to be seen by others. No, that, that's not what we're after here. We're not after a, 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 some type of, a, of, of people to see us in any way. No. As a matter of fact, we're fighting against that. We do this so that our Father who is in secret will see us and reward us. And folks, the reward, the reward is Him. It's Him. That's what we understand. This is not an opportunity to manipulate God to do what we want Him to do. This is, this is not a way for us to, to force God to do something that isn't part of His plan. It's simply a way for us to draw near to God. And He promises He'll draw near to us. Hit that last slide for me, would you, Aaron? I want to close with this, with this truth. It's from Acts chapter 17. Hear how our relationship with God is described. This is the Apostle Paul writing. Hear what he says. From one man, God made every nation of men. Great truth. That they should inhabit the whole earth. And God determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. So God made you. And he has you here on this day for a reason. Now why? God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. This is our God. He desires this kind of relationship with you. If you know him today, and he's prodding your heart for a personal moment of worship this week, respond. If God's prodding you to, to give up a double to be with him, jump. If God's prodding you that there is a relationship with him that is possible, that you're being invited to, today could be that day. Today could be the day that you receive Jesus. Why would you wait? Why would you put it off? If God is prodding your spirit today to respond to the gospel, you have no guarantee that it will come later. But maybe Jesus is saying to your heart now, this is true, this is real, I am real, I am true, and I, have, I am offering you life with Him. Vertical relationship with the God of the universe. 
Life isn't all horizontal. It's not all about here and now. It is vertical. Perhaps God is inviting you to himself today. If he is, just cry out from your heart. God, I know I'm a sinner. I look to Jesus and I receive what you have offered. Now allow me to be your son, your daughter. This is who our God is. Perhaps today you are being called to find him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this truth of your word. God, I pray that you would continue to just prod us forward, Lord. The world around us denies you even exist. And if you do exist, you want nothing to do with us, according to the world around us. Oh, so far from the truth. So far from who you are, Lord. You invite us to yourself. And once we come to know you, you invite us to learn that you are greater than anything this world offers. Oh, God, show us, show us a true desire for you and let us stop being satisfied with the small things of this world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you have to help me out with the slides over there, Aaron. So I'm just going to move forward a couple of these. First of all, remember what what today is. Um, Hit my next slide for me, would you please? Um, So we're asking you if you're a member today. There's information back there on the table, okay, that if you're going to be, let's see, I got, I got this written down. Hold on, Tim, I'm getting there. Okay, A through K, last name of A through K, and you're a member of Centerpoint Bible Church. You head to the table on this side, okay, you're going to check your name, you're going to grab a ballot and drop that in the, drop that in the box after you affirm or, or not the vote. Um, L through W on this side in the back of the room. Okay, that'll happen during our fellowship time. Now, I just want to remind you of a couple things about our fellowship time. Make sure that we've got to tear down this room. We, we need your help with this, okay? It's been a blessing to see people moving forward on this. Here's our fellowship rules. They're up on the screen. So you remember what those are. Big thing for my mind right now, of course, is keep your eyes on your kids, all right? Make sure that no balls are flying around and people run around and run people over and knock them down. We don't want to do that. There is a focus hour at 11 o'clock. We've got four focus opportunities for you as a Adults, I encourage you to be part of that. We also have, of course, for our children and, and for our teenagers, take advantage of this opportunity to interact with other believers. All right? Now, as is becoming our custom, I want us to remember what it is that we're supposed to do right now. And that is leave here, launch from here, and go fulfill Jesus' call on our lives. And so, would you please stand with me? We'll put it up on the screen here. I'd like us to recite Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20 together. And before we even do this, I want to remind you that today there's an opportunity for this. Is there not, Pastor Billy? Fifth Sunday, great opportunity for us. There sure is. There sure is is an opportunity. Just make sure you're there from a quarter to three. All righty. Let's read. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Thank you. You are dismissed.